Coming up on Garden Talk. If you had 100 UVA photons, for example, and 100 blue photons, the UVA photons would only be about as 20% as effective as the blue photon. I've tested maybe 100 grow lights in the last two or three years. I haven't seen one whose spectrum wasn't suitable for growing. You can hack to getting at the equivalent of a $300 quantum sensor power meter for about $20, $25. Compared to blue and green, red photons are more photosynthetically efficient by about 10 or 15%. People see the blues and the UVs and the far reds and these extra diodes and think they add something. All I see is waste. I see money being put into stuff which is just marketing trinkets. And if you want more growth, get more power. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grout, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This is episode number 33. In this episode, I interview Shane from Migro LED. He is a lighting expert, and he owns Migro LED Grow Light Company. Many of you know him from his YouTube channel, where he does grow light testing and reviews. He'll talk a little bit about the grow light testing that he does, and we'll also get into other lighting topics, such as measuring PAR, light spectrum in significant detail, and the future of grow lights. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast or Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast who help make that goal possible. A big supporter of this podcast is Spider Farmer. They sponsor this podcast and I use their LED grow lights. Spider Farmer now has a bar-style series of LED grow lights. They have the SE3000, a 4-bar fixture for a 3-foot by 3-foot grow space. The SE5000, a 6-bar fixture for a 4-foot by 4-foot grow space. And the SE7000, a 6-bar fixture for a 5-foot by 5-foot grow space. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below. And you can use discount code MrGrowAt5 during checkout for discount on their products. AC Infinity. They sponsor this podcast and I use their products. AC Infinity now has gardening tools and accessories such as heavy duty fabric grow pots, trimmers, grow room glasses, drying racks, plant ties, and trellis nets. They also have all of the equipment needed for a ventilation system. I will leave a link to AC Infinity down in the description section below and you can use discount code MrGrowIt during checkout for a discount on their products. Big shout out to Dutch Pro for sponsoring this podcast. Dutch Pro is a plant fertilizer company that has been around for over 30 years. They have base nutrients and they also have additives such as PK boosters, root stimulators, CalMag, silica, a nutrient optimizer, and a foiler feed. They also have pH regulators to help ensure that the nutrients can be uptaken properly. I will leave a link to Dutch Pro's Amazon store down in the description section below and you can use coupon code MrGrowIt10DP for a discount on their products. Okay, we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Shane from Migro. How are you doing today? Chris, I'm doing very well, thank you. And I'm really delighted to be on your show. Thanks for joining me. 
We're going to dive deep into lighting today, particularly lighting for plants. So I actually already did a lighting in a past podcast episode. It was called Things to Look for When Buying an LED Grow Light. It was really an LED Grow Light buyer's guide. It was more of a beginner-friendly conversation. Uh, that was episode 18 with Austin from Chill Tech. If any of you want to check it out, I'll actually have that in the outro card of this video if you're watching on YouTube. But this conversation is going to be more intermediate knowledge, I'd say. We're going to get into grow light testing. We'll talk about measuring PAR. We'll talk about light spectrum. So we'll go over the different colors on the spectrum and how they impact plant growth. And then lastly, the future of LED grow lights. So before we get into the nitty gritty of things, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into lighting? Yeah, I've been, I've been um, into growing for a long time. So horticultural background, horticultural parents, wife is into horticulture <clears throat> and i'm an engineer manufacturing engineer so i was um i finished up with my previous job i was working corporate finished up and uh, wanted to look into doing something myself and i sort of put two and two together and came up with migro uh so migro uh, we manufacture um and sell our own range of grow lights but we, uh, as well, of course, we have the Migro YouTube channel and Instagram page. And uh, yeah, I've been running that for about the last five years. And you currently have, you're coming up on 70,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. So congrats to all your success there. That's not easy to do. And on your YouTube channel, you do a lot of grow light testing. Can you talk to us about the grow light testing you do and how you measure grow light performance? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I originally started doing grow light testing basically to sell my own lights and it was to, to demonstrate the value of buying high efficiency lights over what a lot of the sort of cheaper um, models were around at the time, particularly blurple lights. This is about four or five years ago and kind of came up with a, well, not came up with, but sort of refined, I suppose, a method of testing, which was um, getting the grow light in question optimizing it for in terms of the area that it's suited for, optimizing it in terms of hanging height, simulating a grow tent environment, so silver mylar walls, and then using what's called a, a quantum sensor or a power sensor to measure uh, across a grid. Hopefully you guys will be know, aware of power maps, basically a chart showing the uh, power intensity or the light intensity all across the um, the sort of test area which represents the plant canopy the leaf canopy and yeah it became very popular uh, people really got um got into seeing um you know how their light performed how some lights perform against other lights and i guess sort of demystifying as well some of the um confusion and the misconceptions around grow lighting so a couple of the measurements that you highlight it seems are micromoles per watt and then also the average par over the footprint. So why are those measurements kind of the most important in your opinion? So a grow light, um, so if you take, for example, a HID bulb as a starting point, so a HPS bulb, HPS bulbs fire out light or photons in all directions. And you have to then use reflectors and, re and reflective walls in order to direct that all that light back down onto the plant canopy. And often there are um, losses involved in that. So if the reflector isn't good quality reflector, um, if the the, uh, the, the hanging height isn't optimized, 
all these sort of things feed into how many lo how much loss you have. Typically with a HID reflector, you've had anywhere between about 15 and 25% and losses. And so it's not just about the amount of light that's coming out of the fixture itself. This, this pertains to LED as well. But really it's about the system efficiency. So as I said, when you have it in the correct grow light environment, so the right size uh, grow, grow area, with reflective walls at the optimized height, what's the best system efficiency? So getting that, how much power you're getting down onto the plant canopy. And uh, so that's what I measure. And then simply, that's the, so that's the power output, kind of called it, I've become to call it usable PPF or usable power um, in the last couple of years. And so it's how much usable power or <clears throat> power is reaching our plant canopy and then you, if you divide that by the power consumed, you get the efficiency of the system. So it's the amount of output delivered to your plants divided by the cost input in terms of energy. And that gives you, um, it's not a, exactly the correct term to say micromoles per watt. It should really be micromoles per joule, joule of energy. But it's a bit simpler and easier to understand to say micromoles per, per, um, per watt. And again, it's it's uh, I found that people really like having that simple reference point in the same way that if you're going to buy a car, <clears throat> you'd want to get information on what the fuel economy is. So how many miles per gallon and uh, even performance wise, you know, uh, not to 60s and that sort of thing. So it's just a simple reference point where you can compare different technologies, different types of grow lights and have a, a benchmark um, to compare them to. Okay, that makes sense. This next question is very subjective. So I'll say, in your opinion, what are some things that people should look for when buying an LED grow light? So the, the simplest thing is the size of your grow area. <clears throat> so um, you need to provide sufficient quantity of light to get um, good growth. And that's a fun function of obviously the, the length by the width, so the, the surface area that you're trying to light. But it also, as I said, is a function of the system. So the using reflective walls and having the right reflectors or the right hang height. So generally, I'd recommend starting off at 500 micromoles per meter square per second. So that's just a power intensity, which will deliver good level of performance in terms of the grow area. But that can rise all the way up to sort of eight, 900 micromoles average power and you will literally get all you know if you go from 500 up to 900 you will get sort of 40 45 percent more growth it's linear so the the return on um your light intensity is linear up to about a thousand micromoles beyond then we recommend you can use those higher intensities but uh you will generally get plant stress unless you're supplementing the environment with um elevated co2 or higher, higher, supplementing with CO2 and elevating the CO2 levels in the grow area. There are lower levels I would recommend for seedlings, so around 200 to 250. So once you've established, um, you know, are do you want to really, uh, do you want to just have sort of a, a reasonable level of performance out of the grow area, which would be 500 micromoles, or a high performance level, which would be eight or 900 micromoles? Make that decision. Again, usually I would recommend learners or beginners would start at 500 because you've got to really have your um, all your other aspects of your grow, your environment, the nutrients, 
the medium, everything else um, on point to really take advantage of those higher um, light levels. So you've established that, and then you're trying to find a fixture which will deliver that level in the grow area size that you have. Most manufacturers now these days um, publish power maps. So they'll show the power intensity over the designed um, grow area, and they should give you the average micromoles over the grow area too. Next step really is about um, efficiency and cost. And like most things in life, you know, you can just get what you pay for. You can pay for an entry light these days. So, and, and by the way, the entry lights generally these days are very good. Um, and they will be about, um, in, in efficiency terms, about two micromoles per watt in terms of efficiency. And you would pay somewhere in the region of maybe a dollar twenty per watt. So you want to get a hundred watt light for a two by two, it'll cost you about $120, $130. And then you can go higher performance than that with um, you know, maybe 2.4 micromoles per watt, so maybe 20% more efficiency, 2.5 even. But you will pay could pay 50% more per watt, so maybe up to $1.82 a watt for that. You do get a return over time, and you get other benefits like lower heat input into your tent. But, you know, that's the sort of range that you'd be operating in. <clears throat> and the last one is spectrum. And I know we're going to talk a lot about spectrum later, but in general terms, most grow lights that I've seen uh, and tested and are on the market these days have a spectrum which is totally suitable for growing um, all the way from seed to harvest, you don't need to be changing grow lights. You don't need to be tweaking or anything like that. The um, the spectrums are particularly concerned about it. Generally, white LED lights will grow um, all plant types <clears throat> perfectly well, all with good development, good shape, good structure, all the way through. Um, so yeah, your your size work out your area know your area, then find lights that are designed and suited for that area. Then look at the power intensity that they're designed for and decide where you want to be on that range. And then really it's you'll find a range of lights and usually there'll be a price range in, in, in line with performance for those lights. So one of the things you actually didn't mention, which can be a little bit surprising for so many people watching this, is you didn't talk about diodes or drivers, no. right? I think that's one thing yeah. that people look yeah. at. The first thing, oh, does it have Samsung diodes? Does it have yeah. BMO driver, right? But yeah. you're saying, you know, efficiency is kind of more important in your opinion. Well, efficiency and uh, is related to quality. So true, the, true. the drivers, higher efficiency drivers. So most electronics burn out because of heat. And um, if you're running LEDs very hard, so running them at a very high wattage per LED, so driving them hard, using a low amount of LEDs to get a high quantity of light, and they will run hot, but they will also run less efficiently. Um, similarly with the transformers or the LED drivers, if they're of low quality, they'll be also generally of low efficiency. Um, higher quality is is achieved with um, better quality components internally that are more accurate, um, and they often have additional sort of circuitry in the drivers to to uh, elevate the performance of the drivers. So the driver and the LEDs combined will deliver a, a high quality driver and LEDs combined will deliver a high efficiency, and vice versa. Um, in terms of LED, the LEDs themselves. There is an obsession with Samsung. Um, they do tend to 
be at the forefront in terms of efficiency. But the difference between Samsung, the most expensive, and by the way, you'll pay for that. Uh, as I was saying earlier, you'll pay for it significantly. Um, and um, your your you know your your Samsungs, your Soul uh, semiconductors, which I use, uh, your Osrams, um, Philips, uh, Bridgelux, all of these manufacturers make great chips. Um, they're high volume, high quality, long established manufacturers and um, the quality of their components and the longevity of their components will be um, in line with Samsung's just as good. Um, so there is an obsession and I think it's it's born out of people getting burnt, excuse the pun, by, by, by poor uh, specifications and poor technology in the past. Um, but um, I, those days are largely gone. Uh, I still hear reports from people on some of the lights that have tested that, uh, you know, they've, they they had some issues with, for example, driver burnout and that kind of thing. Um, but I have to say those, the, the number of complaints or the, the amount of feedback I've got on, on, on that in the last couple of years has reduced significantly. That makes sense. Yeah, I've seen less reports as well as far as burnout of LEDs. Those years are somewhat over, I guess you can say, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's open it up and let's talk about measuring PAR. I have the Apogee MQ500 PAR meter that measures from 400 to 700 nanometers. I also have the MQ620, which is the extended range one. It measures from 340 nanometers to 1040 nanometers. Now, you've recently found a PAR meter that's a bit cheaper than the, let's call it, industry standard Apogee meters, right? And they're yeah. just as accurate. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so I was quite surprised myself because I had looked in the past at getting an affordable uh, quantum sensors and, and, and getting um, alternative ones to the ones I've been using. So I've been using the Apogee myself for about five years, and I would think it's the it's the it's pretty much the benchmark of people using it in the industry. And this measures power itself. It doesn't actually read spectrum. It doesn't tell you what the spectrum looks like. That's slightly different to spectral radiometer. But the, the quantum sensor or power sensors are designed to capture and count um, photons between 400 nanometers and 700 nanometers, which is basically from a deep blue up to the far red, just to that point. And that's the power measurement. And good ones will measure the, the, all the photons or, and all the wavelengths in that power range accurately. So it'll count um, blue photons as accurately and red photons accurately. There are other sensors around there which are sort of anything you see that's going to be sub, say, $200 um, is likely to be a modified look sensor, light meter, uh, which is they're designed more for the visible um, readings or readings of looks and lumens and not totally suitable for power. So they'll give you slight errors uh, particularly in the, the um, deep blue and the, the far red areas. And I did find, um, so I got a recommendation actually from a viewer on one of my videos, have I checked out this other sensor. Um, I had a look at it, it was significantly cheaper. So the Apogee SQ520, um, the power sensor, I think with the, the um, display and the reading, uh, meter is about $530 or thereabouts. And this spot on um, power sensor was is $300. So I was a little bit skeptical. I thought it might be sort of a, a jumped up lux meter, but I got, a whole, got in contact with them. 
got a hold of one. They sent me one over for test and I started testing in parallel with the two sensors. So doing my normal tests with the Apogee and this um, spot on sensor beside each other. And I found it to be, you know, to a level of <clears throat> similarity where, you know, I'm not sure which one is more accurate, by the way, um, but they're both within uh, in any of the readings or series of readings I took within a couple of percent of each other. So I was really impressed with it. And I thought just from a, you know, a, a community and an industry point of view, um, it's a bit of a breakthrough for me, really, because a, a lot of people basically you know, watch my channel really because they can't afford a quantum sensor to uh, to to find out the information that I'm going to tell them. So it's really, I think it's great that the cost of these things are coming down and it's becoming more accessible for the average grower to um, to do the things that I would do. So to assess and optimize their grow lighting setup. Yeah, I was just about to say that same thing. It's glad, it's about time that these prices have come down on par meters because it, it is out of so many people's reach. You know, five hundred dollars—that's yeah. not that's a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, yeah, it's expensive. So it's good that there are now at least one cheaper option that's just as accurate as the Apogee meters. Yeah, there is another one, Chris, which uh, I know we're going on to anyway. But uh, I did publish. Um, some, so I did some testing of lux meter accuracy with different um, with different spectrum, and you can get pretty close accuracy or at least consistency in the measurements using a lux meter, and then basically apply. And these lux meters you can get anywhere from get from anywhere from fifteen dollars, maybe up to about thirty forty dollars, so much much cheaper. And what I found was that I, I did readings under different spectrum from about 150 micromoles up to about 1100 micromoles, which about is, is about the full range that you need to be able to read at. And I found them to be linear. So using them under, for, say, for example, I don't know, you could have a Mars Hydro SF2000 or you could have a Viper Spectra or you could have a Chilled or whatever light you have. Generally, these things will read consistently. Now, you're reading, you're still reading a Lux measurement, so it's not par that we'd, we would want to have. But on, on my channel, um, I've done a few videos where I've given conversion measurements for typical grow light spectrum. But the most important thing is that it's linear. And this means that you can map out your grow area. You can find out the relative intensity. So are there hot spots? Are there cool spots? And you can also um, do your own power maps and then optimize your own setup. So repeat the testing of your power map in your own area with your own light setup at different hanging heights, for example, and find out which one gives you the best balance between getting the most light down onto your grow area and the most even spread across your grow area at the same time. And you can do that for $20. Okay, yeah, that's great information. Another cheap alternative is you can actually, there are now phone apps. You can download a phone app and measure par just using your phone. Uh, yep. But some of yep. these are some of these apps are more accurate than others, and you did yep. a whole video on that as well. Can you talk to us about your findings there? Yeah, so there's a bit of tech behind it in that I use the Photone app. Is that their new name? I think it is. Anyway, they changed name. I think it's to Photone, but um, they had um, they have they they that's exclusively available on Apple Store for using with Apple phones. And the front-facing camera on Apple, they all have the same sensor and the same processing 
software for that sensor, hardware and software for that sensor. So you can get consistent readings on any iPhone with that app. Whereas with um, Android, you know, the, the, whether you have a Samsung or some other version phone, and even within Samsung, the um, the light sensors are different. So it's I didn't test for every different version of Android phone, obviously. So I couldn't um, I couldn't guarantee or or say that they would be accurate for for anybody's use. But certainly the Photon one I found to be consistent and useful. Um, so if you have an iPhone, definitely download that and have a go. And then I um, the PPFD app, I'm in contact with the guys that developed the PPFD app, and they actually have a Bluetooth connection to the to what's called the Unity Lux meter. So you're basically using an external device with your smartphone. And that has some calibration for different grow light spectrum. So you can you can hack to getting at the equivalent of a three hundred dollar um, quantum sensor power meter for I think it's I think the Unity Bluetooth version is about again about twenty dollars twenty five dollars. So it's it's perfectly possible, and really any information in, in in this regard is better than none. So mapping out your area. Having a look to see where what the light intensity is at different points, and then adjusting your hang height to optimize that will work with really any of these devices or these systems. That's awesome. So now there's just so many different ways to kind of go about measuring PAR that there wasn't five years ago. You know what I mean? So that's awesome that we're actually at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so people have PAR measurements. Another thing I want to get into is DLI. Now, I don't think I covered this on the beginner video I did with Austin from Chill Tech. DLI, Daily Lighting Integral. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so um, there's the intensity at a moment in time, which is your power intensity, and that's measured in micromoles per meter squared per second. And that's the quantity of photons impacting on a meter every second. And obviously, you've got um, different lengths of day then. So what um, biologists and horticulturists are interested in is um, how much um, will the plant uptake, not just instantaneously at that moment in time, but over the total day. And so it does vary by species. And so, you know, if it's a, a shade loving plant, for example, it's going to have a much lower requirement um, for light intensity. And it's not going to want to be exposed to, to high light intensity for a long period of time. But then you get um, plants which are uh, will take up a lot of um, light intensity. So you know anything from fruiting plants, you know, chilies, peppers, um, tomatoes, uh, corn, um, all the way to medicinal herbs, and all of those will um, will utilize high levels of light. And just for reference, by the way, we were talking earlier on um, about high light intensity being a thousand micromoles. The sun would be about two thousand micromoles midday. So what we're replicating indoors is is a lower uh, maximum intensity than sunlight at midday. But of course, you know the sun varies throughout the day, and DLI is a measurement of capturing that light intensity over a whole day. Um, which, you know, outside in the sun, it would start off at maybe about four or 500 micromoles in the morning. 
rise up and peak at about 2000 and drop down to about 500 in the evening before sunset. <clears throat> That's if it's a, a cloudless sky, if it's a clear sky. And um, if you sum total that up over a 12 hour day, that equates roughly to about 40 DLI. And DLI, daily light integral, integral means just adding all of the results together, just combining everything under that graph and some accumulating it together. And so the recommended maximum DLI for tomatoes, for example, is 40, 40, 40 moles. Um, and um, that's just a general guide. You'll have a sort of um, semi-shade plants or not as, as hungry or uh, plants that would, would be quite happy with 20 moles per day. And as I said, you'd have shade ones that might only want five. But we look at it because you're trying to understand, as I said, for the uh, not just the light intensity, but but also looking at the aspect of over the, the light on time that you have, how much light are the light is the plant are the plants receiving? Gotcha. So actually, I do have a cheat sheet here for so for DLI low light plants five to ten, medium light plants ten to fifteen, and then high light plants fifteen plus. And uh, there are various sources online that kind of measure this. You can actually search DLI calculator. And there's a number of different sources that you can go in there. You basically just enter in the PPFD, a canopy, and then the number of hours that the light is on. Then you press the calculate button, and then it'll calculate the DLI. And some medicinal varieties, I've heard of going 50, 55, upwards of 65 DLI. So I thought that was super interesting. It is interesting. And the interesting development with LEDs, so it used to be restricted in terms of indoor lighting because HID based you would only get so much light into it into an indoor area um, before heat would overrun you and you'd be battling against heat. It was re the restrictive uh, uh, measure really to, to maximizing the potential from a space. Now that LEDs are involved and the much more efficient, people are starting to use much higher light levels. So 500 micromoles was high performance five, six years ago with HID. As I said, it's now risen up to a thousand, which means you can and basically double the yield from the same space and all of the things, um, you know, being in line. So, yeah, it's it's impressive that uh, improvement as technology has had a real benefit. And that's one of the reasons why you can jump, you know, when you're in the vegetation stage, for example. I know, I think you mentioned like 500 PPFD, and then you switch that light cycle. Instead of doing 18 hours a day, now you're down to 12 hours a day. So you're increasing the PAR number up to... You know, 900 is a rough number up to 1,000, as some people say. But you do the DLI, and it actually makes sense. You use that DLI calculator, it makes sense because you're dropping yes. the number of light hours per day, but you're increasing the PAR. So. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get into light spectrum next. I wanted to start with green light because there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to green light. But I do want to kind of start from the beginning of the electromagnetic spectrum. Let's start with UV. So there's UVA, UVB, and UVC. Can you mm -hmm. talk to us about UV light? Yeah, so UV, um, the lower down the spectrum we go, the higher energy the light photons are. Um, so UV, UVC would be the lowest um, wavelength of ultraviolet, but it's got high energy photons. That's why they're damaging and can cause cancer. Fortunately, you don't get UVC through um, from the sun because it's, it's filtered out by the atmosphere. And similarly, um, with uh, HID and LEDs, you don't get um, you don't get UVC, so we don't have to be concerned about it, and that's good because it would damage us and damage the plants. 
Um, UVB is similar in that it's still high energy photons, but <clears throat> not as damaging. They're not as cancer causing um, and uh, basically damaging cells as UVC would be. However, they do some damage, as we know, because we get sunburned. Um, it is a, it does. There is a, a response you can get from plants by using UVB in a measured way. So you can stimulate increases in oil production um, by using UVB. Um, gardeners will know this if you've ever grown rosemary outdoors and grown it indoors under glass. Outdoors, you will get a nice sticky resin on the leaves. Um, you can feel it. You can smell it. It's much richer in terms of its perfume and its flavor. Where it's grown under glass, it'll be It'll still be green. You'll get as, as, as much growth, physical growth, but it won't have that stickiness and that resinness. And it's just the same with medicinal herbs and lots of other plants where you're looking for um, oil production um, for higher quality. There's, there's a few studies out there. And it's again, it's, it's one of those um, sort of frontier uh, parts of, of indoor growing where people are, are learning and um, developing an understanding. But in essence, you can increase oil production, which is the terpenes and the flavonoids, so you can get better smell. You can't get higher potency with additional herbs, um, but you get uh, better quality in terms of um, uh, flavor and smell. Um, so that's used in short bursts. Uh, you don't want to use it all the way through the grow because basically it's, it's, um, it's uh, signaling the plant to divert its energy from growing in terms of, of uh, putting on mass to generating oils. And for that reason, we only recommend using it in the last two or three weeks of flower. Um, so once the plant has put on uh, most of its weight and its bulk, and we're trying then, we're only using it a couple of hours a day uh, in, in the middle of the light cycle to, again, to trigger this response in the plant to generate oil. And that oil is basically to has more uses than just you know to smell to smell and um, to taste better those oils also protect the plant so it's like a natural response of the plant to protect itself against these uvb photons which could potentially damage it so that's uvb we then have uva which um from a, a photosynthetic point of view it's uh and uh from a development point of view it's very like blue in that it has a an effect on growth um, however, it's not as photosynthetically efficient. So UVA photons, uh, if you ha had 100 UVA photons, for example, and 100 blue um, photons, the UVA photons would only be about as 20% as effective as the blue photons. So they're not particularly useful. Um, they are included in grow light spectrum, um, but they're costly to produce, they don't last very long. And as I said, they're no different from a plant development or growth point of view than adding blue photons. The, the plant responds the same, whether they're blue or, or, or UVA. Um, and that response is to shorten the um, basically smaller uh, cell expansion, which means smaller cells, which means shorter, denser plants and shorter, denser leaves. Um, but generally I wouldn't uh, recommend um, to spend money or resources on UVA in a, a grow light system.
Okay, that's really good information. And UVC goes from 100 to 280 nanometers, UVB 280 to 315 nanometers, and then UVA 315 to 400 nanometers. So mm -hmm. lots of good information about UV there. Next up is 400 to 500 nanometers, which blue light falls into there. And you kind of touched on one of the effects of blue light, which is the shorter internodal spacing and inhibits cell division. Can you talk to us about blue light? Yeah, so blue light is photosynthetically efficient. So it um, it does it grows the plants effectively. It's about eighty percent efficient. Um, it uh, it has it it stimulates again a response in the plant. So if you have less, for example, less than about three or four percent blue, you will get very stretched out plants. And this is what growers used to experience with high pressure sodium which is certainly less, usually about 3%, but certainly less than 4% blue. And so the plant, again, it, it um, responds to the proportion of blue, blue light and it will grow shorter, as you said, internodal distances. So the distance between the branches, but all aspects of the plant will be shorter and more compact and dense. So all of the stalks, all of the leaves, uh, will be slightly shorter and more dense uh, the more blue light you have in a spectrum up to about 25 percent after which um, you, um, you you there's no difference but uh, in in terms of the balance if you look at again most white light so even a 2000 uh, color temperature so very warm um, white light will have the minimum of about five six percent blue 3000K up to about 5000K, the percentage blue will range from about 12 up to about 23%. So any of the white lights that you get, white LED lights that manufacturers are producing, most of them will have sufficient blue in the spectrum to deliver short, dense growth, which is what we want indoors. We want the plants to be short and compact um, because we're height limited and we want the plants to um, put on as much bulk as possible without wasting energy basically growing at all. And unfortunately, most grow light listings, they're not going to tell you what the percent blue is. Unfortunately, you only see that from an integrated sphere report. Now, if your manufacturer is cool and they are transparent, they will provide you that information. So you can certainly reach out to your manufacturer ask them for that report, and then it will list the different percentages of colors that that grow light emits. So. Mm -hmm. Next up is 500 to 600 nanometers. Green light falls into that. And I don't think a lot of people know that green light is actually used by the plant or absorbed by the plant. There's been a lot of misinformation that says that green light isn't used at all by the plant. And you've got those headlamps with the green light that's emitted because it's not supposed to impact the plant at all, but that's not actually the case. Can you talk to us about green light? Yeah, so I'll debunk first of all. Um, so... In the early days of LEDs, grow lights, people didn't have efficient white LEDs. They only had relatively efficient blue and red LEDs. So that's all they used in grow lights. And in order to sell them, they took uh, data, some sort of uh, scientific reports and studies and took them out of context and used them as a marketing tool to say that we, we are using blue and red in our LEDs and they're more efficient than in other lights, for example, like HPS, because plants only absorb blue and red light and they don't absorb green. So all the green light out of a HPS is wasted. And because of that, 
basically you can you can use a much smaller wattage LED light than HID, which was total BS. Um, it was based on, as I said, um, taking um, scientific studies and reports and um, criteria and using them totally out of context. Next bit that sort of confuses people is that plants are generally green and it stands, you know, it's common sense that something that's green is reflecting green light. And that is true. It does reflect some of the green light, um, but it also uh, green light tends to penetrate deeper into the leaf and also will bounce around within the um, within the canopy. So it um, it is is very useful as part of the overall grow light recipe to have in there because it'll get down into the leaf and photosynthesize parts of the leaf that other the uh, blue and red, for example, won't um, photosynthesize. And also down into lower parts of the plant, which won't photosynthesize, wouldn't photosynthesize otherwise. Next part to it is um, the green lamp that people use for inspecting their plants. Green light tends to be the per, for the amount of photons output is the, the highest response visually. So we, we if, if you took, again, 100 photons of blue, 100 photons of green, 100, 100 photons of red, we would see much better under those 100 photons of green light. It gives us, our, our eyes are much more responsive to, uh, to green light than other spectrum. So if you are going to use a light in an environment, it is better to use a green light because you can use less of it than a white light or a red light or a blue light just to see. So again, it's sort of uh, putting two and two together and getting four to say that using a green, a green light doesn't affect the plants. It will if you use enough of it but you're able to use a very small amount of it to see, and therefore it's the best one to use if you have to do it. Um, lastly, uh, the experiments that were done in, um, so McCree, McCree curve, maybe people have seen, it's experiments that were done in the 70s, which looked at the plant growth rate uh, under uh, discrete um, wavelengths of light. So they took maybe a five nanometer um, bandwidth of blue light. They shone it at a plant. It's actually algae in a, in a solution, and they looked at the amount of oxygen it produced, so how much uh, photosynthesis was occurring. And they looked at that discreetly all the way up through the spectrum to um, see how responsive plants were to different discrete uh, wavelengths of light. That's not what happens in reality. In reality, we don't mush a plant up, put it into a dish, and, and shine beams of, of of, of narrow wavelength beams of light. The plant is in an environment where there's all different wavelengths of light all interacting with the plant in a different way. And in, in those studies, it's shown that green light is just as effective as blue light, um, but there still is a higher level of photosynthetic efficiency with red photons. Um, so green, green is, uh, the last thing about green is that if you have only blue and red, you get a purple light and purple light doesn't reflect any light off the leaves and the leaves look black and you can't see your plants properly. So having green light in with blue and red means you get white and white light means you can see your plants more clearly. And um, there's a proverb which is escaping me now but uh, about gardening and it basically says, you know, if you can't see what you're doing, you're not going to make mistakes. Uh, so having a clear white light um, where you can see, um, you know, where there might be nutrient deficiencies, 
you can see where there might be some uh, burning occurring, um, you know, disease, any of those things, kind of things, you can see much more clearly under white light. So for all those reasons, green light is a, a very useful part of the grow lighting recipe. That's super interesting. Yeah, a lot of misinformation about green light. I'm glad that more and more information, more and more people are talking about how green light is useful to the plant. So let's talk about red light. That's next, 600 to 700 nanometers. I think 616 nanometers is kind of a highlight here. A lot of people talk about 616 nanometers. And then we can get into far red as well, 700 to 750 nanometers. 730 nanometers is talked about pretty often. Can you talk to us about red light and far red? Yeah, so red light is useful in two ways the uh, in the it's, it's at the opposite end of the spectrum of uv and therefore uh, it's higher wavelength and lower energy photons so electrically they're cheaper to produce because they're individually they're lower energy so you for, per per watt you can produce more red photons than you can blue or uv photons for example so they're electrically efficient to produce but also the plant is most responsive to red photons. So compared to, to blue and green, um, red photons will are more photosynthetically efficient by about 10 or 15%. So having as much red as possible in that mix will deliver the highest electrical and, um, and also photosynthetic efficiency. They don't have a, uh, an effect on the plant development. So it's like a thinner color. It's like a you know, your carbs in your dinner or whatever, you know, it's it's not adding flavor or anything, but it's adding bulk and it's adding energy. Um, it's not going to affect the way the plant grows. Um, so the common misconception, again, that um, if a light doesn't have, you know, the little red diodes in it, that it's not suitable for flowering. And that's not true. Um, they don't, it doesn't make the plant flower or enhance the flowering or anything like that. And what it does is basically it boosts the electrical and the photosynthetic efficiency of the spectrum overall. So those little red diodes are generally much more expensive than white diodes, but they're higher micromole per watt efficiency in terms of output. So we put them in there, as I often describe, like a turbo booster. So you got your, your main engine, which is the blue and the green and the bulk of the red coming from the, the white LEDs. And that's providing most of the light and the spread. And then you have these um, red diodes, which can boost the electrical and photosynthetic efficiency of the system overall. That's really good information for sure. Last but not least, IR, infrared light. What do we need to know about that? Yeah, we're going to start with fire red, actually. So infrared is effectively heat. Um, it's not photosynthetic, so it doesn't cause plant growth. And infrared is what we'd look at with an, you know, an infrared camera where we'd see basically radiation coming off the surface. Uh, so you can you know, get in night vision and all that sort of stuff you can see in the dark. Infrared is, uh, is, is beyond 750 nanometers. Far red is just beyond red. It's actually a very deep red. Far red LEDs at 730 nanometers, you can see them glowing is sort of a very deep red they don't look bright but you can you can definitely see that there's light coming from them so they're still in the visible spectrum as well and um, they're not as photosynthetically efficient as red so again adding far red diodes uh, if you wanted to get more growth you would just simply add more white or red diodes however there is a belief that um, adding far red will somehow 
boost the other um, spectrum that you have in, in the, the, the power spectrum. And again, there's a bit of a misuse around the, the Emerson effect. Um, and the Emerson effect, the Emerson effect is really um, a um, complementary uh, effect that using different grow light spectrum will have on the um, the overall rate of photosynthesis, the amount of growth that you'll get from that lighting system. It doesn't. Um, there is a very small uh, benefit to adding a small bit of far red in with red. It'll complement the red and free up a little bit more of the red photons to be active. So it'll boost the efficiency of the red. But it's it's literally it's it's I can't remember the exact figure, but somewhere around five percent or something. And it's only if you use a small amount of far red. Um, far red is not like red or green. It's it's like blue in that it has this effect on plant development as well as growth. And it has the opposite effect of blue. So far red, uh, too much of it will cause plant stretching. It'll cause cell expansion and plants to stretch. And that's a bit like blue where you want a minimum of 5% to keep plants dense. At far red, you don't really want more than 5% or you will start to see stretching. Now you can balance it off with blue, but then you're into sort of a war with the blue and the, and the far red. Um, most LEDs, if you look at their grow light spectrum charts, there'll be a little tail or a little at the end of the curve will go beyond the 700 nanometers, beyond the red into far red. Most LED, uh, white LEDs will um, emit about two or 3% far red anyway. So you don't, again, in, in my view, um, there's a misconception that adding far red LEDs is going to give this extraordinary boost to the to the uh, effectiveness of the rest of the photons, of the other, uh, the red, the green, and the blue photons. But it's only a very marginal effect and one that you would get from almost every grow light anyway. And adding additional far red um, LEDs um, is, uh, in my view, counterproductive in that you're now in having to add more blue in order to balance that off so your plants don't stretch. So if you want more growth, more power, just more power, keep it in the narrow, the straight narrow between the 400 and the 700. And um, in particular, in the red area, because as I said, that's that's more electrically and photosynthetically efficient. Yeah, I heard. I also heard no more than five percent for the far red. And one other effect, particularly on medicinal varieties, is foxtailing. So uh, I've had grow lights before that had more than that five percent. And towards the end of flowering, it's just there's just foxtailing everywhere. So it impacts bud development in that avenue as well. So yeah, yeah. So it's it's again, there's a lot of marketing around grow light spectrum. And the way I often describe it is, you know, when you buy a stereo, for us, for us of a certain vintage, we'll remember in the 90s, there was this craze with, you know, all these graphic equalizers and lights and buttons and sliders and all this sort of thing, none of which made the sound any better. Um, in fact, if anything, they were taking money away from putting in good quality components into having flashing lights and dials and indicators that didn't add to the sound. And it's a bit like that with grow lights, as far as I'm concerned. People see the blues and the, U, sorry, the UVs and the far reds and these extra diodes and think they add something. All I see is waste. 
I see money being put into stuff which is just marketing trinkets. And if you want more growth, get more power, which is just, you know, per watt getting higher efficiency grow lights or having more wattage. Simple as that. Um, most modern, I haven't seen a grow light, I haven't tested a grow light, and I've tested maybe 100 grow lights in the last two years, two or three years. I haven't seen one whose uh, spectrum wasn't suitable for growing. So there's a lot of search for sort of little gains here or there with, uh, with spectrum or sort of magic secret sauce. And um, generally there isn't any. Um, as I said, use a white light, um, use enough of it, distribute the light evenly, and you'll get, you'll, you'll, you'll optimize your, your potential yield. I remember going to MJ BizCon a couple of years ago. For those that don't know, it's an expo and every company's there. Basically, every company's there. They show off their newest products. And this lighting company, I stopped by their booth and I forget the name of the grow light, but they had it so you could adjust the spectrum and it was like super customizable. And I think it was like a $4,000 grow light. I walked by there and just raised my eyebrow. I'm like, really? Like $4,000 to, it, it just, it made no sense. And like you said, it's marketing is involved in that as well. What, what, I, what I would say is if you're, if you're growing a very specific, um, it could be a bedding plant or it could be a herb and you're a, a mass producer and you're, you know, you're generating thousands, you know, you've acres of, of space. What you might do is you might refine a spectrum to, for example, so tweaks in the red and tweaks in the far red can affect, for example, the time that, uh, you know, your petunias flower at. And you can trigger particular responses in plants um, in order to make them flower, in order to make them more leafy. So what I said about far red, what, what again, there's a misconception out there because there's some videos out there of people showing that far red can produce a higher yield, but it's of lettuce. And lettuce, you're looking just to get leaf. You just want lots and lots of leaf and you want it to produce as much leaf as possible. So far red in that instance is basically making them stretch a little bit and generating more leaf, which is what you want. Also, you could be using uh, a little bit higher blue will bring out Oh, I've got to pronounce it properly. Anthracinans. Anyway, the, the, the sort of purple uh, pigments in plants. So if you're producing a red lettuce, for example, or a purple lettuce indoors under green, under um, artificial lighting, you might want to uh, tweak the light spectrum to bring out certain characteristics of that plant. Um, but in general, if you're a home grower uh, in particular, um, it's a bit like... Um, you know, your your setting will never be perfect for the different stages of growth. What you want is something that hits the middle for the whole uh, grow. Um, and in that sense, having, uh, as I said, anywhere between 5 and 15% blue, about 30% green, and about 40% red is your optimum spectrum. And the benefits of moving away from that so putting money into having dials to adjust spectrum and different drivers and different channels and all that sort of stuff. In my view, you'd be far more better off just having more light and a more efficient light. Um, you're going to get more, you're certain to get more yield that way rather than being uncertainly twiddling around with things, trying to get an effect which will be different based on different strains and varieties of plants. So, you know, whether it's indica dominant or sativa dominant, for example, with medicinal herbs, you could have 
um, a different response from different plants under the under uh, different lighting conditions. So just stay in the middle. Don't make something more complicated than it should be. Just get as much light down there as your plants can 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 um, absorb. Get it down evenly. And you know, if you want to tweak and twiddle, start looking at medium or you know, nutrients or something else. Because uh, if you've optimized your lighting spectrum with with a modern grow light, which is white, there really is 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 not much other places to go. Well said. So, like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you've tested over a hundred grow lights. We got to know what are some of the best grow lights on the market today that you've tested. Well, I put it into different categories really because there are some lights which are just really, really good value and extraordinary quality for how cheap they are, um, and then there are others which are multiple of times as expensive per watt to buy, but are extraordinary because they have really good efficiency and really high quality in terms of their build. Um, I would say in the budget category. I reviewed some that have been exceptionally good from a build quantity, a build uh, quality point of view. So your your Amazon-y type lights around a dollar a watt. Generally, they tend to be a little bit tinny and flimsy in in at parts. But uh, one that stood out for me was MaxiSun. Really high quality build. It's that sort of build quality where you just when you have it in your hand. It's nothing in particular. It's all the little details. It's everything is finished off really well. So they have that sort of um, baking tin type reflector that Mars Hydro used and a few other manufacturers use, but it's a little bit more solid and it's a little bit more robust um, than maybe the Mars Hydro one. Um, speaking of Mars Hydro, there, what's the name of it again? The long form one. SP3000. SP. The SP series. series, it's been out about two years. They've revised it this year. It's really good quality. Um, so again, in, in the lower price category, that's that's a good one. In the medium price range, I'm going to plug my own. So Migro Array, um, I try to strike that balance between being good quality as well as good performance and decent price. So it's, you know, that 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 uh, a, a, a good balance of all those. Um, you get up into the higher performance range or higher price range, more commercial type fixtures um, in terms of the, um, you know, the uh, the cost in particular. And I would say Lumatech, uh, also known as Photon Tech in the US, are an excellent brand. Uh, I've, 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 I used to use them. I've been using them for 15 years as, you know, my first digital ballast I bought was Lumatech um, and I've never heard anything other than good things about them. Their build quality is excellent, the performance is excellent, a bit of a premium for it, but it's worthwhile. Uh, Gavita, love their LED light, uh, but again, it's, you know, it probably would be in the commercial space if you're going to be paying that much for them because they're quite expensive in terms of cost per dollar. Um, but yeah, I've reviewed hundreds of them. Uh, I don't review all the grow lights I get offered or asked to review. So anyone that I do has sort of passed the basic test, but I've taken it out of the box. It hasn't fallen apart in my hands. The build quality is good. The performance is decent. The in I'm kind of particular about the information they provide as well. So I'll check to see are they making reasonable, are their specifications reasonable? um and like i would reject 
I'd probably reject like two to one. So I'd probably reject two grow lights for every one I test um, on the basis that there's an awful lot of um, spurious sort of, you know, uh, yeah, just missing on a few of the main points in terms of build quality and in particular the marketing information or the specifications. Um, you know, I, I had one the other day and I looked okay on the website. I got it delivered. It was a Chinese manufacturer. Uh, which, by the way, is not a derogatory term I use. I use it sometimes when people think that I'm I'm using that as a derogatory term. It's not. Um, you know, uh, my drivers are made in Hong Kong. My my LED boards are assembled in China and shipped here. You know, pretty much every grow light is made in China these days. So it's not a I'm not separating out Chinese as a, a derogatory term. But anyway, they were um, marketed and sold directly by themselves. They sent me the light. I took it out of the box and immediately um, the central beam, which had the drivers in it, it was just rattling around. <laughs> and uh, so I opened up the cover and it was, you could just, the build quality, the, the extrusions were really thin and really tinny and um, the drivers weren't fixed down properly. And when I opened it up, it was just like a rat's nest of wiring and you know, anyway, I, I called them up immediately and just said, look, I, I'm going to throw it in the bin or you can collect it. I'm, I'm not testing this. So um, there is still quite a lot of junk out there. So I would recommend if you're going to buy a grow light, do have a look at the channel because it's a it's at least a minimum level of guarantee that the build quality is up to a, a comparable standard or a, a good standard for the industry. And then, as I said, you'll see from the performance uh, whether the components are of a good quality or not. High performance means they've had to use uh, good quality uh, components. Medium, you know, is probably price related. They're probably um, trading off with, with cost and price. And uh, low efficiency, you know, I, I may not be, you know, I may not be saying it directly to camera, but you can usually tell if you watch me closely that I'm sort of, yeah, this could be better, you know. <laughs> the, the, uh, I'll be subtly hinting that there's uh, better things on the market than this one, even though it might be adequate in other ways, you know. Yeah, you're very transparent when it comes, and, and very honest when it comes to your grow light reviews, and you don't review any bad grow lights. But just to, for clarification, you used to years ago, and you used to be very brutally honest, and it was actually kind of funny. I'm looking at one of your titles right now, totally pointless grow light. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but there were some sort of novelty uh, grow lights that, because um, people would, would send me emails saying, you know, so, for example, I bought some of these. I don't know if you've seen them on Amazon. They're the the home garden lights, and they have a they have a stand, and they have these flexible arms with these little LED bars on the top. Yep, they're still yep. purple, and you're supposed to position them over your house plants. So, you know, people have offered me them, and I've actually gathered together about five or six of them to do like you know, when I have a couple of days where I just want to have a bit of fun <laughs> with the reviews, I'm going to test those and see what they do because uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to be atrocious. But um, yeah, I, 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 I don't want, I, I like to keep things not non-contentious, but I basically don't want to be rubbishing anybody else's products. I don't, I don't want to be having a, a negative effect on another company unnecessarily. Um, so um, I just don't like that vibe. I don't like, you know, the sort of, 
comments that come with it and all that stuff. So I'll be gracious, I hope, um, when a really good light that's much better than mine is there. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'll just be quiet and hold my peace when um, when there's some junk or, you know, I'll give a subtle indication that I'm, you know, not very impressed with the particular fixture. Lighting technology has come so far in such a short period of time. I mean, you mentioned Mars Hydro having a good light. You say that, you know, back in 2015, 2016, people will laugh at you. They yeah. had hot garbage lights back then, but they've really turned things around and their lights have gotten a lot better and they're up there with the best nowadays. Yeah. Um, now, my question is, with lighting technology moving so rapidly, what do you see? What innovations do you see happening with lighting technology in the upcoming five years? Getting cheaper is the big thing. So, <clears throat> and it's the same with, the, you know, domestic lighting all forms of lighting the um so in terms of failure and problems with led lights um biggest issue up to the last few years was actually the power supplies for the led drivers they were the thing most likely to fail out of a lighting system and most of that was just cheap cheaply made um low efficiency um drivers and they would generate a lot of heat and there's uh, components called capacitors in them, and they're a little bit like a battery, but they've got a gel in them, and they literally dry out um, and pop when um, when heated too much. And that's you only get the flickering of, a, of an LED light, like a home light or whatever, and it starts to flicker. That's or you see it in in vehicle lights as well. That's often because the driver has blown, um, not necessarily the LEDs, or is starting to go. Um, with the LEDs themselves, the technology, so if you look beneath that um, phosphorus, the yellow coating on top of the LEDs down into what's underneath, um, the basic technology has not changed in the last 10 years in terms of white LEDs. So they're basically a, a blue LED underneath that white phosphorus coating. And that white phosphorus diffracts or breaks up that blue light into other colors, so into green or red. And the more phosphorus you use, the more um, warm the color will go, so the more red it'll produce and vice versa. Um, but that technology hasn't changed very much. What has happened is is we've got, it's got cheaper, so people are using more LEDs compared to before. And because they're using more of them, they're per watt, because they're using more of them, they're running them at lower currents or lower wattage. And because of that, uh, at lower wattage, they run more efficiently, but they also run cooler and they're less likely to um, to uh, to burn out. Um, within the LEDs, there's tiny little gold wires attached onto the wafers. And if they overheat, those gold wires melt or detach from the wafers. And that's when LEDs blow, basically, or burn out. Um, so it's uh, between the driver technology getting better up to about 95 percent is pretty standard now they're not that's not going to improve very much the basic led technology has there isn't a new technology out in the last 10 years so they're all just refining and tweaking and twiddling and um, improving the, the overall system efficiency by using more leds with better tolerance or, or more accuracy in terms of the circuitry and that's delivering slightly higher efficiencies um, but what is being obtained today could have been obtained seven or eight years ago with a very high amount of cost, um, or at least close to. Um, the biggest difference now is cost. So um, where 
uh, you know, it wouldn't have been uncommon for a 100 watt, so say a little light for a two by two would have been $300 for a high efficiency one. Uh, and I'm saying high efficiency, sort of two to 2.2 micromoles per watt. These uh, four or five years ago, you could now get for $100. So, you know, it's dropped by a third. And I've seen a, a big reduction just in the last 12 months. Um, and it's typical of a maturing industry, really, that when people stop, you know, sort of innovating and getting new developments in technology, they then all fight each other for, with the same technology for the same market share. And that goes, goes all the way up and down the supply chain and everybody tightens their belts. And usually you'll end up with a smaller number of large manufacturers who are very efficient, um, are very, uh, uh, have their costs uh, controlled very well and delivering high volumes and therefore able to deliver low prices. We've seen a lot of new ent big entrants into the market in the last year or so coming in very aggressively with low pricing. So I think that's what's going to change. I think the next thing is, uh, as I was saying before, about pushing the limit of where of light levels and light intensity and yields per square meter or per square foot. And I think um, one of the developments which might assist that is cheaper and more accessible um, environment control in terms of CO2 supplementation and that type of thing. So you've already got these sensors. You can get a CO2 sensor now for 40 or $50 where, you know, I bought one four years ago and I bought the cheapest one I could find and it's 350, you know? So um, sensing technology getting better, like we were talking about earlier, having better control over your lighting system. So getting, getting equipment, and technology that will help you set up better and optimize your setup better. Um, so yeah, that's where I think things are going over the next, certainly the next two or three years. Awesome. Well, definitely that's uh, exciting for consumers to have cheaper prices, you know, oh, definitely. more, more and more for affordable for people. Definitely. Yeah. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Yeah. So uh, the YouTube channel is Migro, M-I-G-R-O. Um, the Instagram, it's uh, MigroLite, so Instagram forward slash MigroLite. Uh, website is www.migrolite.com. And um, yeah, we do you know interviews with uh, industry professionals and experts, we do the reviews, do tips and tricks and how-tos and hacks and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so anything grow lighting really. Uh, related. So any of the topics we discussed this evening, for example, I'll have a, either a video or a couple of posts on it on Instagram or a blog on the website related. And uh, really just refining that and improving that over time. Um, so lots more grow light reviews. Um, just finishing um, filming a series on grow light, sort of up-to-date um, videos on grow light spectrum, how to size your grow light how high to hang your grow light, all those basic things that people want to know. Um, I'm just about to release a whole sort of new version of those. The um, As you know yourself from sort of being a, a, a producer, uh, that um, I look back on the ones that I did three years ago and I cringe now and I think, God, I, I really got to, to get oh, them yeah. up, up to at least my my current standard because, uh, yeah, they were, um, they're hard even for me to get through because I was... Uh, you know, I wasn't as, as capable as I am now, so, yeah. All right. 
Well, I will link Shane's YouTube channel down in the description section below on YouTube. I also link a website, MyGrowLED. I will link that website down in the description section below. Uh, if you enjoyed this video, click that thumbs up button. Also, drop a comment down below. Let me know what you thought of this talk. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Shane, thank you so much for joining us today and just dropping a ton of knowledge bombs about lighting. I think you've definitely expanded my knowledge quite a bit, as well as the audience knowledge. So thank you for your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. It's been a real honor and a pleasure to be on, Chris. Your, your, um, your channels are a reference point for me, too. I've watched a lot of your stuff, learned a lot, and uh, so it's a real honor to be on here. That's really cool to hear. All right, take care. Thanks.